We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, we're going to talk about a book. But no, not my book, not Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I want to talk about another book, a more important book, the one book you should buy if you buy no other right now. Vody Bauckham's Fault Lines, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. As I said in the introduction, it's book review time. And you all are getting sick and tired of hearing me talk about Grow Up, so let's focus on a book that's much more important. Vody Bauckham's book that I just described to you, Fault Lines, has been released at essentially the exact same time as Grow Up. It's in a different category, and Vody Bauckham is crushing it. Last I checked, the book was number seven in USA Today's book reviews. And rightfully so, it should be number one. Dana Lash just mentioned it as the most important book she's read in the last 10 years. So if you listen to nothing else in this show today, listen to what I'm going to say right now. Go buy this book. Go buy this book. The title is Fault Lines, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe by Vodi Bakum. That's V-O-D-D-I-E Bakum, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. Now, for those of you who are routine listeners to the rebellion, that name should be familiar. I talked about Vodi Bakum months ago. I cited Vodi Bakum at the front end of a lot of the critical race theory debate as one of the lone voices of sanity out there, one of the lone African-American voices, one of the lone black voices, but even that, describing him as African-American and American, excuse me, describing Vodi Bakum by the color of his skin would probably cause Vodi Bakum to raise an eyebrow and say, You've tacitly imbibed the Kool-Aid. You've, without realizing it, drunk the Kool-Aid, imbibed the poison. You have bought the lie. Everett Piper, just by introducing me the way you just did, is a problem. Because Vody Bakum is the guy who said, there is no race in the Bible. There's only one race, and that's the human race. All of the other categories of identity that you see in the Bible, whether it's male, female, whether it's Jew or Greek, whether it's Babylonian, Egyptian, Hittite, or Canaanite, or Israelite, all of those divisions are divisions of tribes, divisions of geographic location. There is no race other than the human race in Scripture. And the thing is, Vodi Bakum 
is one of the preeminent scholars, biblical scholars out there right now. Vodi Bakum is no slouch when it comes to biblical understanding. He's a highly educated man. He has his degree from Master's Theological Seminary in California. And Vodi Bakum also knows from whence he speaks. He was raised in Southern California. He was raised on the other side of the tracks, if you will, in Los Angeles area. Vodi Bakum comes from poverty. He comes from black poverty. Vodi Bakum came to Christ later on in life while he was in college. He's converted to Christianity after being through the mess that the social justice movement says it seeks to correct. Many people coming out of Vodi Bakum's situation have rebelled against Western establishment. They've embraced the white privilege lie. They've bought in to critical theory, critical race theory to be more specific. They have become neo-Marxists because they see that as the only solution to their plight, to the human plight, to human sin. But they don't call it human sin because they don't see themselves as guilty of sin. Everyone else is responsible for their problems, not themselves. That's the nature of Marxism. It looks out the window and blames everybody else that they see out the window for everything that's wrong with the world and for everything they personally suffer. It's everyone else's fault. During the time of Vladimir Lenin, who was following right on the footsteps of Karl Marx, it was the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. It was an economic conflict. It wasn't racial conflict at the time, but it was pitting us against them, me versus you, I deserve mine. And sorry for the shameless self-promotion of Grow Up. That's exactly what I'm confronting in Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, but it's good. I'm confronting this selfishness of Marxism, the childishness of Marxism, the fact that anytime you're blaming everyone else, you're functioning like a child rather than an adult. And it's time for us to grow up and and recognize that the only good life we will ever realize is one when we set our personal safety aside and recognize that it isn't about us any longer. It's not about our own comfort any longer. It's not about our own material gain or our own acquisition of power. Life is much bigger than that, and the good life is a life that looks at oneself as the problem and recognizes that confession and repentance is far superior to blame and accusation. Well, today I want to talk about Vodi Bakum's book because he drives this point home in spades. You can't get much clearer than what Vodi Bakum says in Fault Lines. He actually defines critical race theory and its problems for us. And that's what we'll spend time doing today. And maybe in a subsequent show, we'll talk about some of his other arguments. But again, if you've listened to nothing else that I've said thus far, and if you listen to nothing else that I say henceforth in this show, listen to this. Go buy Vody Bakum's book, Fault Lines. 
Let's take a break, acknowledge our corporate sponsors that support us here on the radio version of The Rebellion. And when I get back, we'll talk about Fault Lines by Vody Bakum. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Again, singular topic today. Critical race theory, critical theory, critical legal theory, and how it will lead to a race war. Now, I'm not saying it. Well, I am saying it. And I think anybody that's watching the news right now recognizes that we're already in the throes of that war. And it's not just ideological. It's not just a war of words. It's becoming a war of rocks and stones and Molotov cocktails. It's becoming a war of violence and not just virtue signaling. This is antithetical to Scripture. As a Christian, I'm going to say it the way it is. There is nothing in the Bible that divides people by color. Nothing. And any church that's preaching otherwise is a church that's unbiblical. Leave that church. If you can't change it from within, if they won't listen to you, leave that church. There is nothing in Scripture that divides people. Nothing. Scripture unifies people. The Bible unifies people. And don't give me this nonsense about, well, the Bible was used to justify slavery. Yes, people that didn't understand the Bible, people that abused the Bible, people that twisted Scripture, people that did not take the full counsel of Scripture, abused it to evil ends. But as as I've said before, the beauty of Christianity is its self-cleansing. It serves as its own soap because it has a true north. Christianity washes itself of its sins. That's why we have a reformation. That's why we have revival. That's why we have repentance. Because all of these things stand for returning to the true north of the truth of Christ with a capital T and the truth of God's revelation with a capital T. That we don't make up our own truths. It's not about social constructs or social justice. It's about biblical constructs and biblical justice because the Bible defines these things. You don't, and I don't. And Vodibachum deals with this in his book, Fault Lines. He talks about where critical race theory originated. And he says that it's Karl Marx's conflict theory. And he reminds us that conflict theory is Marxist view of society, that social classes all compete with one another for limited resources, such as food and housing and employment, education, leisure, and other uses of time. That's from Vody Bakum and Fault Lines. And he's absolutely right. You know that. You know that. Karl Marx's theory was grounded in conflict. It's a conflict theory that pits classes of people against one another as they compete, as they compete for limited resources. It's grounded in Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest. There's only a limited amount of stuff out there, and the fit are going to compete against the unfit for survival in acquiring those resources. Well, the assumption here is the survival of the fittest implies the lack of survival, the death of the unfit. You need to remember that when we're talking about 
Marxism and neo-Marxism and Black Lives Matter, which admits that it's grounded in a neo-Marxist ideology. You need to ask people who embrace this stuff, who march with Black Lives Matter because they believe in justice, well, what about the unfit? If the fittest are to survive, what about those that are unfit? Are you okay with them not surviving? And what's your definition of non-survival? Isn't that synonymous with death? What do you mean by that? Ask the rhetorical questions. Vodibakum then goes on to talk about the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. The Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And he talks about how that school grounded its, its theory, grounded critical theory, in the Marxist revolution the Marxist revolution, but it recognized, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory recognized that the Marxist revolution had failed to topple capitalism because it focused on economics only. And that a man by the name of Herbert Marcuse, maybe pronounced Herbe, I don't know for sure, Herbert or Herbe Marcuse, and how he and George Lukacs and Walter Benjamin came to be known as the fathers of critical theory. These men developed critical theory as an expression of conflict theory and applied it more broadly, including other social sciences and philosophy. Their main goal was to address structural issues causing inequity. Does this sound familiar? I'm reading directly from Vody Bakum's book, and I'm going to repeat this paragraph because you need to listen to it. Marcuse and his colleagues developed critical theory as an expression of conflict theory and applied it more broadly, including other social sciences and philosophy. Their main goal was to address structural issues causing inequity. They worked from the assumption that current social reality was broken and they needed to identify the people and institutions that could make changes and provide practical goals for social transformation. Do you see what's going on here? You may hear that paragraph and you may immediately think to yourself, well, what's wrong with that? Addressing structural issues, causing inequities. Shouldn't we do that? Well, if that's your response, you've bought into the lie to some extent. It isn't about structural issues because now you're blaming society for all that ails us rather than blaming yourself. You're passing the buck from the individual to the community. And as the result of doing that, you're enabling people to avoid confession, avoid repentance, because it's not about them any longer. It's about the country. It's about someone else. It's about whites, it's about blacks, it's about Hispanics. It's their fault, it's not mine. It's about the structure. It's about culture. Structure needs to change. Society needs to change. Culture needs to change. Capitalism needs to change. It's all a blame game. It's all looking outward rather than inward. When you're looking to resolve conflict, when you're looking to solve problems, I believe the Bible teaches that you should look inwardly first. That's not narcissism. You may say, Piper, you're always saying, stop looking at your own reflection in the mirror. Stop looking 
at what you see in the mirror rather than what you see in the Bible. Now you're telling us the opposite, to look at yourself. Well, when you're looking to solve problems, you don't blame God. When you're looking for God, you look for him, not yourself. So the point is, narcissism is gazing at your own reflection. It's this self-centered fixation when you're looking to compliment and pat yourself on the back and when you're looking to acquire power, when you're looking for God and you see yourself in the mirror, that's narcissism. Stop looking at yourself. Look somewhere else. Look to revelation. Look to natural law. Look to common sense, sense that is common. Look to the time-tested truths that have been endowed to you by your creator. Look to revelation for what is real. Stop looking at yourself. That's when you're looking for solutions. But if you start doing the opposite and you start looking outwardly when you're trying to identify problems, now you will never come to a point of personal repentance and confession because why bother? It's not your fault. It's someone else's. That's critical theory. Critical theory seeks to address structural issues causing inequity. Do you get it? It's not you causing inequity. It's not your sin. It's societies. It's the structures. That's the problem. So you can claim to be God, rise up and squash everybody else that you don't think is God because they're the structure that caused the inequity in the first place. This is dangerous thinking, people. This is very dangerous thinking. It's the antithesis of the Bible. And what bothers me is you've got evangelical churches, and I'm going to name them like the Nazarene Church, like the Wesleyan Church, like many Baptist churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Not all of them. Not all Wesleyan churches, not all Nazarene churches, not all Baptist churches, not all non-denominational evangelical churches, but there are way too many in all of those categories that have bought this nonsense and that are preaching this nonsense. How in the world can you read Ephesians and not see that Jesus, excuse me, not see that the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, through the teachings of Jesus, because he trusts in Jesus and believes in the message of Jesus, how can you read Ephesians and not see that Paul is calling for unity, not division, that he's calling for us to preach the truth, to teach the truth? Like I said, what is truth? Truth is an objective reality. It is not a social construct. It is not the product of social or structural construction. Truth is a revelation of God. It is not made up by you or me. And that's the only solution to this problem. The problem is we think we can make it up as we go. And we think someone else that's inferior to us that made it up prior to us was wrong. So we'll just get more power, grab the ring, The one ring to rule them all, the one ring to bind them, as long as as we have the ring and not them, everything will be better. That's not the way we change the world for good. That is the opposite of the message of Christ. Bacham goes on and he tells us this, that critical theory, critical theory is geared toward identifying and expressing problems in order to facilitate revolutionary political change. 
And he's citing the actual authors of critical theory when he makes these claims. He's not making it up. He's not creating a construct. He's referring back to their very words. It is not interested in reform. Do you hear that? This is from Bauckham's book. It is not interested in reform. We do not reform the police. We defund the police or, or we abolish them. So critical theory is not interested in reformation. It's not interested in reform. It's not interested in returning. It's not interested in repentance. It's not interested in revival. Because all of those things imply that there was a standard out there. There was a measuring rod outside of those things being measured. There was an objective standard outside of ourselves, outside of our communities, outside of our color, outside of our tribe, outside of society, that there is a measuring rod outside of ourselves, outside of man, that can be used for correction. And we should return to that measurement, to that standard. That's biblical. But no, no, that's not what critical theory calls for. It denies that standard. It doesn't exist and says that it only is a product of white privilege. And that's the biggest danger of critical theory. It disparages everything that we hold dear in Western civilization as only a product of white privilege. So the writing of Shakespeare can be just discarded and ignored because white privilege. The Magna Carta discarded and ignored because white privilege. The Constitution discarded and ignored because of white privilege. The Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, your state's constitution, discarded and ignored and disparaged, criticized, white privilege. All of this stuff, all of this stuff, this commentary, what I'm saying right now, ignore it, white privilege. And the more someone like me or you challenges that and says, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Ah, you just demonstrated your white privilege. Your denial of the problem proves there is one. Circular, catch-22, fallacious argument. If you point that out, oh, logic is the product of white privilege. So you can't even point out fallacies and talk about logical debate any longer, white privilege. You can't even talk about debate and disagreement. That proves you're guilty of white privilege. Because if you want to debate and disagree, then you're proving that you're ignorant of the very sin, the very disease that plagues society. This is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because it squashes disagreement, says that it's bad. Product of white privilege. Squashes debate, says that it's bad. Product of white privilege. Squash, squashes logic, silences even mathematical formulas. Two plus two equals four is, quote, nothing but trope and the product of white privilege. 
Now you may laugh at this and say, this is ridiculous. You can't discard mathematical formulas. Two plus two has to equal four. Otherwise, we can't build a house, build a bridge, or design an airplane. I agree with you. You can't do any of that. That's the lunacy of this. But when we're talking about political structures, when we're talking about society, that's where they're going. They're even discarding mathematics. And the logic and the reason and the predictability of mathematics and science as the product of white privilege. And they replace all of that with the narrative, the story. The narrative and the story. Critical theory, critical theory recognizes racism is ingrained in the fabric and the system of the American society. This is from Bodie Bauckham's book, and he's quoting Again, a critical race theory person, a critical race theory advocate, one of the leaders of CRT. CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of American society. The individual racist need not exist to note that the institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. By definition, that makes America a racist country because there is a dominant culture. And that dominant culture is what? Western civilization. America was seeded out of Western civilization. Now, I would argue that's a good thing. Because Western civilization brought us civilization, a civil people that recognized our civil obligations to act civilly to one another and stop acting selfishly. Western civilization, for all of its flaws, and I agree there were many, were many and are many because we're a sinful people. Western civilization brought us law and order. Western civilization brought us the power of democracy rather than being controlled by the despot, the king. Western civilization brought us George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Benjamin Franklin. Western civilization brought us broken men with imperfect ideas, but yet brought us to freedom because of the self-cleansing nature of Christianity of Christendom, of Western civilization, the soap that cleansed us of our mistakes and our sins and made us a better people over time because we kept going back to personal repentance and personal revival and the great awakenings rather than revolution and the destruction of everything that preceded us because we are as God and we will crush everyone who doesn't agree with us. Critical race theory cannot be embraced by the church and if it is embraced by our culture, we're doomed. Go buy Vody Bakum's book, the best book you can buy. Fault Lines by Vody Bakum. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.